Hi there, you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 121. A trade secret can last forever. As long as you can keep something secret, you can own it, sort of like the Coca-Cola formula. Hi, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, and now it's time to light it up. Welcome to Gift Biz Unwrapped, your source for industry-specific insights and advice to develop and grow your business. And now, here's your host, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Whether you own a brick-and-mortar shop, sell online, or are just getting started, you'll discover new insight to gain traction and to grow your business. And today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Todd Timmerman with Shoemaker, Loop, and Kendrick. Todd is a business lawyer specializing in intellectual property protection. His practice spans a wide range of intellectual property and technology-related litigation and transactional matters for the firm's clients. Today, we're going to focus specifically on trademark and copyright registration matters, since these are the questions that frequently come up within our industry. Todd's been recognized by Florida Super Lawyers, Florida Legal Elite, and was named by Best Lawyers as Tampa Litigation Intellectual Property Law Lawyer of the Year in 2017. Right now, this year, you guys, so we can be assured that we are getting top-notch advice. Todd, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Good morning. So this is going to be super crazy for you, but since we're all creatives, everyone who's listening to the show, I like to begin by having you describe yourself in a creative way, and that is through a motivational candle. So if you were to give me a color and a quote that would resonate and tell us what you're all about, what would your motivational candle look like? Well, I guess if you're asking what color, it'd be multiple colors. It'd be yellow, orange, red. And the reason I say that is that's the colors I see every morning when I go out for my morning walks. And it just reminds me that, you know, I got to start when the sun comes up, work till the sun goes down, but I don't want to miss any minute of it. And you're also going to make us all totally jealous because you're sitting in Florida in a beautiful area and you just had to bring that into the conversation, right? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) As one coming from Chicago, but we have listeners all over, so I know everybody has nice environments that they can also tag into here. But why did you get into law in the first place? I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I kind of had a different picture of what law is all about. When I was growing up, my dad was a lawyer, but he was in a completely different area. And when I discovered that there was this whole area of business law, it was pretty attractive. My son asked me one time what I did for a living when he was about four years old and was supremely disappointed to find out I didn't drive tractors all day. (laughs) But he asked what I really did do, and I had to stop and think for a minute. And I told him, I help people solve their problems. The best parts about this profession is there are things that you know we train and we, we study and we read and, and I can help people move their businesses forward with that experience and knowledge that I've gained from what I've done for other clients. All right, well, let's dive right into this now. This is going to be really interesting because a lot of people are just starting out. They make jewelry or candles or they're opening a gift shop. The business is all new. And at that point, there are so many places where you have to spend your money. And the question comes up, you know, people will search for a name of a business and all the other elements that go into starting the business. And they obviously don't want someone to take it, but money's tight. So the question comes up, do I copyright? Do I trademark? What are all these things? Do I need to do it now? Should I do it later? 
And so I think all of these are things that we want to talk about and kind of provide some direction today. The best way I'm thinking we should start is just by defining what some of these are. So I know we have trademarks, we have copyrights, trade secrets, and patents were the four things we talked about pre-interview. So let's just go through a little bit of these and explain to us what they are. Let's start there. Sure. Trademark is what you mentioned, and that's what most people think of when they're thinking of, of IP law, either that or a patent. But a trademark is a name. It can be a symbol. It can be a slogan. It can be anything that is used to identify your business as a source of the products or services that you're selling. So for instance, it could be the name of your flower shop, Jenny's Flower Shop. It could be a design like the Microsoft flag is a real good one to think of. And when people see that little icon, they know that's Microsoft. It can be a slogan. Our flowers are the best in the world. It can be a color, but it's familiar with the pink insulation. And pink is a color. It can be a sound or smell. There's really anything that identifies the source of your business. And that's really what most people think of when they're thinking about IP law. A patent is another thing that's pretty well known. And the difference is a patent protects an invention. So if you've come up with an invention, you can file for a patent. It's probably the, the most expensive form of protection to get, but it can be very valuable. It gives you a monopoly uh, to make the thing you've invented. And that can be a device. It can be a process. There are plant patents and there are design patents, which sort of overlap with trademarks sometimes. So if someone, for example, was a jewelry maker and they created a new way of putting together metals or something like that, would that then be qualified as a patent? It could. Possibly. Okay. It can be very valuable, but that's exactly the kind of thing that would be patentable. And then there's trade secrets, which is sort of the backside of the coin uh, to a patent. In order to get one, you have to disclose to the patent office exactly how to practice your invention. A trade secret, you keep secret. And if there's something to keep secret, if you're able to keep it secret, it can be extremely valuable. So think of it this way. With a patent, you have 20 years from the date you file your patent application as your monopoly on the patentable invention. At that point, at the end of the 20 years, it goes into the public domain, and anybody can practice it. But a trade secret can last forever. As long as you can keep something secret, you can own it, sort of like the Coca-Cola formula. And the nice thing about a trade secret is it's free. All you have to do is keep a secret, and, and that can be even more valuable than a patent in some ways. But in order to keep something secret, you have to take measures to keep it secret. And then there are copyrights. Copyrights are things in forms of expression. So if you write a book, you paint a painting, you take a photograph, from the moment you create that work, the Copyright Act gives you protection. You can register your copyrights in order to get further protection for them, enable you to uh, pursue an infringer of your copyrights. But copyrights protect those forms of expression. So creative expression of one way or another, I guess. Exactly. Something artistic or something that is an expression of a concept. Okay. A couple questions for you here. Let me go back to the trade secrets for a minute. If it's secret, how do you formally protect it? The way to protect it is to keep it secret. So in other words, if you have a shop and there's some secret formula or some secret process that you can't figure out just by looking at your product, you need to make sure that if you have employees who know that secret, they have a non-disclosure agreement with you as part of their employment agreement. You don't leave it in a place where somebody who walks into your office can see it 
or find it. You keep it in a locked cabinet, or maybe you have uh, secure areas in your office or your building where people can't go unless they have a card. Things of that nature. You just do whatever is reasonable to keep it from falling into other people's hands who don't have any obligation to keep it secret. Okay. So the first thing that comes to mind for me with our audience might be bakers who have special recipes. Maybe they're family recipes or there's a secret ingredient that they're using that makes a different flavor that nobody really knows about. So the protection there, as you're saying, is obviously you do everything you can to keep it secret. And then Additionally, it's employees and the non-disclosure. So that's more of the formal aspect, the legal aspect, having people sign a non-disclosure. That's right. And it could be you know, part of your, if you have an employee handbook that you give your employees when they start working, that they acknowledge that can be their agreement. But yeah, recipe is a perfect example. Somebody might know generally what's in the recipe by tasting something if they have that talent, or maybe they could try to reverse engineer it through chemical testing, but discovering the exact proportions is extremely difficult. And if you know those, your baking tastes better than anybody else's because of that secret formula. All right. So if anyone's in that situation, make sure, and even I guess you could say today, Todd, if someone hadn't been covered in that way, just to now make sure all of your current employees are signing that agreement. That's right. I mean, your employees do have sort of inherent obligation not to share things, but you need to make sure they understand and they've agreed to keep it secret. Don't tell their wives. Don't you know take it home and share it with their friends. You know, hey, we got this great recipe that we use at the shop. I'm going to make it at home. Right. Things of that nature. So they need to understand. All right. Let's move on to copyrights, which I think because we're creatives here, this would be a big one for people because we have artists who are doing paintings or people who are making, let's say, greeting cards, you know, all different types of things. Do you have to copyright each and every creation that you make or how does that work? Well, the nice thing about copyrights is they arise just by operation of law when you create something. So you already have protection the moment you create something. And if it's created by your employee who's working within the scope of their employment, you own that as well. The area people run into trouble is when they hire a contractor, an outside party, to make something for them. The most common example is a website. You've paid for it. You think you own the website, but you have no written agreement with the website creator. Guess who owns the copyright? The website creator. And I've seen people get stuck up over that where they they think they're in the website. They want to go make some changes to it. And then they get a letter from the website designers, lawyer saying, oh, no, you have to come back to us if you want changes because we own the copyrights. But back to what copyright is, it, it arises when you create something. You don't have to register your copyrights immediately, and you need to be judicious because there are only so many dollars to go around. Copyright registrations are pretty inexpensive these days. They're about, I think, $30 is the online filing fee if you do it electronically. But imagine all the things you create. You create brochures. You create a website. You have trade pieces that you pass out at trade shows. You have copyrights in every one of those things. And where a lot of people get upset is when their advertising gets ripped off by a competitor who takes a photograph that you had, takes some text that you had in your brochure. It happens all the time. Very frustrating because you put a lot of effort into it. But the nice part is you can even register your copyrights after an infringement takes place. And the reason you need to register the copyrights is because you can't file a copyright lawsuit without registering copyrights. But the downside to registering your copyrights after infringement is you don't have right to uh, statutory damages, which are presumed for the form of damages you don't have to prove, or attorney's fees. And that can make it very difficult and, and maybe overly expensive to protect your copyrights. 
So you want to think about as you create things, what would I be upset if a competitor took it? There are things that are more minor. Yeah, I'd be upset, but I really wouldn't be that upset. And nobody's really going to take it anyway. But there may be bigger things that you use in your business, pieces of artwork or, you know, exactly a painter. You know, obviously they would want to protect those rights. Right. Let's lay it out here. Let's talk about what happened to me, Todd. Give biz listeners, Todd is my lawyer and has helped me with copyrights, trademarks, you know, all of that. And we copyrighted the software that we use over on the ribbon print company side. And sure enough, we found it out in the public and not through me. Someone, you know, a competitor had decided that they were going to start selling my software. And so let's talk through what we did with that, Todd. I mean, I, of course, was hysterical. I was coming home from a trade show. I saw it in the airport and I was like, oh, no, I can't believe this is happening. And so we got right on it, didn't we, Todd? We did. And, you know, one of the things that uh, a copyright infringer, once they talk to the lawyer, is going to find out is that the damages could be tremendous if they're not careful. And so, you know, you can't let it slide. You have to do something about it. But again, I always appreciate, particularly with startups and smaller businesses, that the money you have to put into this is sometimes scarce and you have to decide where you're going to spend it. But I think in that case, you know, a a stern letter, or actually I think maybe took a couple of letters, really got the point across and they backed off. But that's a perfect example of software you write. You have copyrights in the code, or at least the parts that aren't just sort of standard modules you can get from uh, providers, but the things that you write to make your software unique, you own copyrights in that and you can protect it. Right. So in this case, you know, the end of this story was we agreed that the expense to try and litigate just wasn't worth it, but we were able to shut it down right away. Plus, just I don't like that karma. I don't like that negative karma and having that held over. So as long as we could shut it down because everything was in place, we were able to just be done with it and then move on. So, you know, good reason to think about it earlier versus later, I'd say. Would you agree, Todd? That's right. And, you know, luckily we were able to resolve that without litigation. And copyright cases can run into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. In fact, any IP case can easily, if you have somebody on the other end who wants to fight it and has the resources to do it, And a lot of times, bigger competitors will feel like this little competitor is just not going to have the funds to stay with it. Right. They're not going to come after me. If they do, it won't last very long. You have to get right on it and address it before it gets out of hand. So we were copyrighted and we just were able to send the letter and say, hey, look, this is, you know, back it off. And luckily, that's what happened. That's right. They did. Yeah. So now let's go back to trademarks, which I think everybody has questions about because we all have company names. We all have symbols or logos. And so this would be something that everyone could think about and consider. So again, trademarks are all of that, the name, the logo, colors, you said, if you have a tagline or a slogan. So how does all of that work? If someone has all that, what would be your advice to someone? Again, let's start with someone just starting out and then maybe go forward with someone who's been in business for a while, because maybe there'd be two separate things you'd say. Well, there are multiple ways to protect trademarks. Everything can be in a name. I mean, some names, like you can imagine the Coca-Cola name, is worth you know hundreds of billions of dollars at this point. A smaller business may not be worth $100 billion, but it's worth a lot to you because it tells the public when they see that name that this is your product. In fact, the reason we have trademark rights is a trademark is a valuable thing to a company. But I think from the law's perspective, it protects the consumer because the consumer knows when I see this name or I see this slogan or I see this design, I know where it's coming from. I know what the quality is. 
And that's where you run into problems is somebody who's a competitor wants to sell a lower quality product using your mark and it tarnishes your reputation. And so that's where you start to get upset. Let's face it, we all like the names of our businesses that we come up with and we don't want somebody else to take them away from us. So as I started, there are several levels of protection. All trademark rights in the United States, this doesn't go for most foreign countries. Right. And you have to trademark by country, right, Todd? You do. So for most of us, it's the country in which we reside for the most part, wherever we are. Right. Okay. And I'm just going to talk about the United States because that's what most of your listeners are probably thinking about. Sure. But in the United States, all trademark rights come from use. The moment you start using a trademark, you start to generate intellectual property rights, trademark rights in that trademark in your geographic location. So you don't have to register a trademark to have protection. You have protection already under both state and federal law by purely using a mark in the area where you may be. Now, some of us have heard of state trademark registrations as well as federal trademark registrations. What trademark registrations do is they enhance or expand your rights. A state trademark registration in most states give you rights out to the boundary of your state. The federal registration gives you a presumptive right throughout the entire United States. You do get a valuable right by registering a trademark. It expands those rights. But sort of going in all of those, the what are called common law use rights, state registered trademark rights, and federal trademark rights, all kind of work together. But going back to sort of the beginning, when you're a new business and you're naming your company, you need to think about two things. One is, can I protect this mark? So in other words, is there somebody who already has it or is this mark in use throughout the United States where I'm going to have some very limited rights? But the other bigger thing, I think, for businesses that deal with this a lot is if I start using this mark, am I going to be infringing some other company's rights who may have federally registered this mark already? Oh, good point. And now you start using a name. You think you're clean because you don't want to move anybody in your area that's using the mark. And you get a nasty letter from a nasty lawyer who's telling you, you have to stop and you have to change your name now. But now you've got marketing collateral that you've created. You've got signage, you have business cards, you've been to trade shows. And, you know, that expense, had you known what you were doing at the beginning, you could have been avoided. Now, I won't beat around the bush and, and tell you that it doesn't cost money to, at the beginning, undertake certain forms of protection, but there are inexpensive things you can do. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has a public register of all registered marks, and you can do searches on that to see is there anything there. You can do Google searches to find out are there other companies in my field using this name or this design or what have you, just to get an idea. Not everybody who wants to go do the sort of more comprehensive searches we do to get a search and opinion generally runs $1,000 or so, and that's expensive. But there are things that you can do on your own at the beginning when you're starting up to just determine until you get to the point where you're ready to spend that kind of money and maybe try to go out and federally register your trademark. That makes so much sense, Todd. And so what you're talking about really is something that you can just do right online yourself. And super important, too, before you start thinking of what your domain name's going to be, too, because, you know, you're going to be purchasing that as well. So right at the time when you're thinking about business names, 
domain names, you know, you're searching in GoDaddy or wherever to see if it's available. You should put in just overall what Todd's talking about in terms of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And I will connect up links to that site on the show notes page. So everyone can go ahead and take care of that. And as you're saying, Todd, sooner versus later, because you want to start establishing a business that is different, is unique, and is your own. You're going to have to take a step back if you find that someone else already has that name. Great information. Okay, so the first thing to do is do the search, right? Then where do we go from there, Todd? Let's say everything looks fine. Okay, the company name that I'm thinking about looks fine. The domain's available. I've Google searched. Doesn't look like anyone has any claim to anything. Then what should someone do? Well, if your business is going to be purely localized, if you're not going to expand bigger in your state or around the country, there may not be anything more you need to do. Because, as I said, you're gaining use rights, use-based common law trademark rights by virtue of using a mark. So if you're just doing business in your particular city, that may be enough. But there are other things you can do. You can do a state trademark registration. As I said, we'll expand your rights to the boundaries of your state. Or you can do a federal trademark registration, which gives you a presumptive right throughout the country. Filling those forms out, they seem very simple. But I would encourage you probably to have a lawyer do it. Again, you know, cost some money over the period of a year or so with a federal trademark registration that it takes to get one. But I have uh, had to clean up a number of applications that folks have done on their own. They get an office action from the Patent and Trademark Office. We go and look at it. Sometimes there are things we can't fix. The forms are deceptively simple yet complex at the same time because there are certain rules on the Patent and Trademark Office publishes on how you have to do it. So you're talking about like a form that someone might get online and fill out and just submit in that way? The state trademark forms are available through your state secretary of state's website, and the federal forms are online at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office website, which is uspto.gov. You're thinking someone could use those forms, but then run them by a legal person just to look at all. It would be a good idea. And I don't encourage everybody to do undertake, you know, expensive trademark searches all the time. If you've been using a name for some period of time, you probably know by now whether you're infringing somebody else's rights because you would have got a letter. And if they didn't send you one, it may be too late because if you sit on your rights, you can lose them in certain instances. So you probably have an idea already. And I don't encourage people who've been using a name for a long period of time and have no intention of changing it at this point to go spend that money unless they just want to take a belt and suspenders approach and makes them more comfortable. Or if we're going to do a federal trademark registration to try to expand their rights, we might do a search to find out if there are people in other parts of the country. Because as I said, use-based rights are only in the area where you do business. So for instance, if you're down here in Florida using a name and there's a company out in Washington state using the same name for the exact same thing, you might both have concurrent rights. They have the exclusive right up in Washington. You've got the exclusive right in Florida and you're able to coexist. So that may be a reason if you've been using a name for a while to go ahead and do a search and find out what's out there before you spend your money on a, on a federal trademark registration. So great news, everybody. You may not have to be spending any money and you're still covered. So if this is your situation, that's fabulous news, right? Very quickly, though, let's talk about somebody who is you know, now in a situation where they are going to add new locations, let's say they're a retail shop, or they sell online, which could mean 
They have customers all over the country, possibly even international, but let's just keep it in the state. What would those next couple of steps be that someone has to do? You're just mentioning the search. You can do some online searches, or we order more comprehensive searches from a company up in New York City that we work with. They give you a lot of information. It can be an overload of information sometimes, but it tells you all kinds of things about other federal trademark registrations, state trademark registrations, industry databases, online, so you can get a real idea of what all is out there. Once you decide, though, that it looks clear, maybe you've gotten a legal opinion on that, maybe you've just decided on your own, then the next step would be to file a, a trademark application with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which is an online form and something that will expand your rights once your registration is granted to the boundaries of the country. Now, it's a slow process. From the date you file your trademark application, I generally tell clients it'll take about a year to finish to get a registration, presuming it all goes smoothly. But the good news is your protection dates back to the date you filed. So while it's frustrating that your tax dollars are working slowly, you'll have protection that dates all the way back to the date that you filed. Do you recommend then to find someone who specializes or could someone use a lawyer from their chamber or where would you find somebody if they're not near you? You can use a lawyer from your chamber. You're going to find folks in every community who do what I do, who are familiar with how these forms work and they can do them if they're experienced, they can do it relatively quickly. You get the benefit of the fact that they've done this before. I don't encourage using online services that are not lawyers. They may not ask you the right questions. You may end up with a trademark registration that doesn't really protect what you want to protect. I think your money is well spent and it's not terribly expensive to get a trademark registration, but it can be well worth the money in the long run once you've done it right. Any other comments that you would want to give all of our listeners right now just to kind of circle and close this conversation up? I think realizing that intellectual property can sometimes, it's an intangible form of property. It's not something you can pick up and move. You can't put it in storage, but it can be sometimes the most valuable thing in your business. And if you don't protect it the right way, or if you don't clear it the right way, it could end up costing your business a lot of money. I try to encourage my clients to understand that although it may cost a little bit of money on the front end, It'll cost a lot less than litigation against some company on the back end when they come and they ask you to change your name and pay them you know, so many dollars for having infringed their trademark rights. That can be something that's really debilitating to your business. It can set you back years. Sure. And Gift Biz listeners, you know, we talk a lot about how are you different? How are you unique and stand apart? And part of that can be your name, your logo, your color combinations, trade secrets like we were just talking about. So all of this is really smart to just think through, consider, make decisions. Good news is from Todd, you know, that you don't necessarily have to spend the money now. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, but it's clearly something that you should look at, analyze, and consciously make a decision of what you want to do about it today, knowing the pros and cons of each decision that you make. And I would add to that, you know, one of the things that most people in my field will do is when I get a call from somebody with a new business, we'll talk a little bit. I don't generally charge people for talking for 10 or 15, 20 minutes, just about you know what they're doing, what they might, because everybody's situation is going to be a little different. And I think if you find a good lawyer, they're probably going to be willing to just talk about, you know, here's the things you need to think about. Here's the things that you may not want to spend money on right now, and we could 
put those off for some time. So I think searching out and you can find people online pretty easily in your community, or maybe it's in your chamber of commerce, but just talking to them for a few minutes just to get an idea, am I going the right direction here? Because somebody who's going to be have some experience in that field is going to be able to give you at least good off-the-cuff advice. Sure. Wonderful. Okay. And GiftBiz listeners, you know there's going to be a show notes page. Todd, you and I were talking earlier on your website. You had at least one location that you were directing me to. Can you mention that for our listeners if they want to have a little more information about everything we've talked about today? Sure. We created a number of years ago sort of a desk reference. It was on paper at the time. Now it's available electronically. It sort of answers some of the more basic questions that we get asked a lot. For instance, when do I use the R in the circle? When do I use a TM? You know, how do I note that I have a patent application pending? How long is a trademark registration good for? There is sort of an online desk reference available through a link on our website that you're more than welcome to look at anytime you want. Perfect. And I'll link that up over in the show notes page so all of you can access that information. Okay, Todd, at this point, I want to challenge you to dare to dream. Okay. I'd like to present you with a virtual gift. It's a magical box containing unlimited possibilities for your future. So this is your dream or your goal of almost unreachable heights that you would wish to obtain. Please accept this gift and open it in our presence. What is inside your box? If you were going to give me the best gift I could get, you'd give me the ability to be three places at the same time. (laughs) Not just two, three. Yeah, I say that because particularly with some of your small business owners who are just starting up, you know, you're doing so much, you're spending so much time, you're investing time in your business, you have your family, you may, you know, exercise, health, all these things, and you have to squeeze it all in some way. And I face the same challenges all of you face. And you just have to find a way to do it, find a way to prioritize. No business didn't ever succeed because somebody put too much work into it. So when you're putting that work into it, it's well worth it. But don't forget to balance your life and think about what your priorities are. Totally agree with you. And that goes all the way back to your candle and the multicolors and you going out and walking and just being one with nature in the morning, right? It's a good time to clear your head, get your blood flowing, and get your energy level up so that you can make it through the day at your job, or maybe you've got to leave in the middle of the day to go get your kids from school. But there are a lot of things you can do, and making them all work, being able to multitask is something that you just have to learn, and you have to do it. There you go. I thought for sure, Todd, you'd be talking about your boat. What happened to the boat? (laughs) That's one of my priorities. Okay. That's one of the three places you'd be, right? (laughs) That's one of the three places I'd be just about every day. There you go. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time, breaking this all down for us. I've become, you know, you and I have talked a lot, and I really like how you've broken it down into these four different sections to really help us all understand what we need right away, what we might need in the future, and what action we should take. So super appreciate your being here, and may your camp always burn bright, Todd. Thanks. Have a great day. Where are you in your business building journey? Whether you're just starting out or already running a business and you want to know your setup for success, find out by taking the Gift Biz Quiz. Access the quiz from your computer at bit.ly slash giftbizquiz or from your phone by texting giftbizquiz to 44222. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us for the next episode. Today's show is sponsored by the Ribbon Print Company. 
Looking for a new income source for your gift business? Customization is more popular now than ever. Brand your products with your logo or print a Happy Birthday Jessica ribbon to add to a gift right at checkout. It's all done right in your shop or craft studio in seconds. Check out theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on iTunes. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.